Turn to Philippians chapter 4, the final chapter of that great book on rejoicing, where we'll talk about rejoicing once again, and finish up and then prepare for Colossians chapter 1 in the afternoon service, Lord willing. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, here now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Euodius and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise... Think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere, and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account." But I have all, and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Jesus Christ. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint. In Christ Jesus, the brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. May God add his reading, (laughs) add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. You know, you say something every week, you figured you'd get it right sooner or later, right? All right, so we have here in Philippians chapter 4, in the first section, um, a wonderful statement of affection. And that affection then unto standing fast. The command that Paul gives, the encouragement or enjoining that he provides here in these first couple of verses is that they stand fast in the Lord. And as an encouragement to that, notice he offers his heartfelt affection to them. Beloved, maybe we don't realize this sometimes. But when we are estranged from one another, rather than... uh, tender toward one another, this is not encouraging to steadfastness. Steadfastness is the better encouraged through affectionate, tender mercies one to another. When we express those, uh, those gushy statements like the apostle does here in, in verse 1, uh, my dearly beloved, my longed for, my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. This is, this is a part of the means by which we persevere in faith. You know, when we talk about the perseverance of the faith or the saints, we have the, the P of the tulip, right? Sometimes we say it's the perseverance of the saints. That was never what it was supposed to be. The Synod of Dort didn't, didn't set up tulip in that way uh, when they, when they uh, ran up against the five complaints of the Arminians, and from that we got our T-U-L-I-P. The P portion is not uh, perseverance of the saints. It's perseverance in faith, perseverance in holiness. It's not just bare perseverance, right? And so what we want to do then is strengthen that P among us, that, that perseverance among us, by being tenderly affectioned toward one another. This is one of those means of perseverance. Secondly, there's been a breach of that between two ladies, Euodius and Syntyche. And when we we pick up on what Paul is saying here, and then when we read, say, Romans chapter 16, and other places in Paul's writings, this reputation that Paul has of misogyny, it's, it's simply not scriptural. It just doesn't obtain. Um, If Paul uh, believed women were somehow second-class citizenry in the church in in that way, why would he ever mention them? Why wouldn't this just be a tempest in a teapot? Right? But it's not. It's important. These are some of the leading women in the church, no doubt. They have been fellow laborers in the gospel. No, that doesn't make them officers and preachers and leaders in that way. But they lead by way of their reputation and help that they have been to the ministry of the gospel. Ladies, this is a wonderful opportunity to to think on those things and, and, and how all of us in one way or another are pulling on the same rope. We may be on different positions in that same rope. We may have a different handle on that rope than others do. But we're all pulling on it one way or another. But Euodius and Syntyche, they stopped pulling on the rope and began pulling against one another. And this is discouraging. 
This works against perseverance. This is not the, the affection that leads to perseverance that we saw in the first section. But rather here now we see that these ladies need encouragement. They've labored together along with Paul and alongside Clement. And most scholars, and I think I would agree with them, believe that this is the Clement that, um, that the Roman Catholic Church will call either the second or third pope. Okay, well, there's no such thing as a pope in that sense. But this Clement uh, served the Church of Rome as well. Okay, and so, yeah, these are uh, people that have some notoriety in the church. And when they are divided one from another, it's discouraging. It's discouraging to a number of folks, not just to Euodius and Syntyche. And so Paul turns to the minister that is still there in in uh, Philippians, Epaphroditus is with him, but there's another man who remains nameless here, true yoke fellow is what he calls him. Urge these women, encourage them that they might be uh, united in the Lord. Uh, help them to be of the same mind in the Lord. So, ladies, there's a wonderful opportunity that you have in this example and encouragement that you can be. One to another, uh, one to, uh, or each, each of you to, to the entirety of the church. By your, by your union and communion and mutual aid, one to another, and so on. And when we are divided one from another, it doesn't matter if we're men or women. Uh, we become a discouragement then to those tender affections that press us forward in perseverance. Okay? All right, so now verse 4 Oh, by the way, this, this division that had risen up from them was not the kind of division that uh, the Apostle Paul believed meant that they weren't Christian. Their names are in the book of life, he says. Right? This is, this is sort of like what Abraham says to Lot. You know, their herdsmen are fighting. And Abraham comes to Lot and he says, this is not proper that we're fighting. Why? Because we're brethren. We're in the book of life together, beloved. And so we ought not to be fighting. Instead, we ought to be tenderly affectioned one toward another and advance that doctrine of Christian perseverance in faith and holiness. All right, so rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Well, when he says again, he's already told us several times in this book to rejoice. Showed us his own re rejoicing by way of example. All of these things are important. Notice that the Lord is sovereign to command our affections. And if the Lord is sovereign to command our affections, then that means, like the larger catechism teaches us, that when the Lord commands us something, he also commands all the means to that end. Right? So if we're always focused on what we don't have, we're not going to be able to rejoice. And that will take some mental discipline, some spiritual discipline on our part to take stock of what we do have and what we might rejoice over rather than what we think we're deprived of. More on that later in this chapter. Now we move on to let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Let me say it this way. Paul is not saying let your mediocrity be known to all men. 
By moderation here, he means the moderation of your affections. That you're moderate in your affections in that you have a temperance, a control over them. You are kindly affectioned one to another, and you're rejoicing when it's time to rejoice. And you weep with those who weep. That you have all of those things in place. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. We're always to be thinking about the judgment seat of Christ, the resurrection, and standing before him. Those who deny the resurrection uh, tend also to deny the judgment seat of Christ. Right? And in reform circles today, beloved, that is not unpopular. Some of you over the years have read a gentleman uh, who has been a, a patient and careful scholar, we, we thought until just recently, named Gary DeMar. Today, Mr. DeMar is denying the bodily resurrection. He refuses to affirm it. Yeah, we grieve for him in that, don't we? Those who deny such things, and there are many along with him that do, and they call themselves preterists, full preterists, if you will. Uh, They often deny also that there's a judgment coming. What happens if you deny the judgment coming? Well, like one man said, you'll be surprised what you can do when you don't have to look yourself in the mirror. Right? When you don't have that witness coming that you will give an account before the Lord. Paul reminds us of that when he says the Lord is at hand. Okay, so use the judgment seat of Christ rightly as that purifying hope of 1 John chapter 3. We move on now. Here's how we do this. This is the moderation Paul is speaking of. Be careful or anxious, that is, worried for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth under all understanding shall keep, guard, garrison your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Are you worried about something? Paul says, don't worry. Rather, give it to the Lord. Make your prayers, make your supplications. This is prosechi and aiteo, right? Uh, Prayer is a broader term. Aiteo is that word that means asking specifically for things. Having a list of requests that you bring to God. But notice something else that he uh, is careful to mention. That is with thanksgiving. In the midst of the things you're concerned about, give thanks to God. That's the point. Give thanks to God for... Those deprivations that draw you near to the Lord. That you have opportunity to confess, Lord, I can't do anything in this matter. You must do. Right? And then give thanks to God for whatever outcome he is pleased to give. And notice the promise that is attached to that. Peace. The peace of God which passeth all understanding. That means you have a peace that the world, the world will look at you, the faithless will look at you and say, there is no way you can have that peace. You're acting. Nope. This is simply receiving God's promise. The peace of God which passeth all understanding will guard, will garrison, will protect and surround your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Notice that this promise is not without Christ. It is because of him. So if we're fretting about what we don't have, we're going to worry. 
If we're fretting about things that the world, like we talked about last Lord's Day in the afternoon service, we're talking about living the abundant life. The abundant life is going to be described by Paul in the latter half of this chapter. In everything, he says, I'm full and I hunger. What does he mean by that? We'll talk about it in a moment. But notice, the abundant life is that which God supplies. That's the abundance. Satan, the world, your own flesh, what they want to do is get your eyes off of what God supplies and tell you things that you ought to be wanting instead. Put those things out in front of you and say, oh, but you don't have this. Oh, but you don't have that. And focusing on those things then, worrying about that, what happens? Well, then our hearts are unguarded. Right? We let that, we let that bore into the, into the vineyard, the bore of doubt and worry. Okay, and then finally in, in verse 8 here, finally, brethren, is what he says. Now notice the mental discipline that the Apostle Paul presses to us. Beloved, mental discipline is not something that we simply click out on and, you know, the Spirit's going to fill our minds like that. This is not a let go and let God endeavor. This is a, this is a disciplined effort that God, by His Spirit, will uh, will cause you to succeed at. Uh, the natural man is a slave to his lusts. This is mission impossible for him. But for those of us who, uh, who, are, who have the Spirit of God, as Paul will describe in Romans chapter 8, well then this becomes mission possible for us. Oh, certainly not in perfection, not in this life, with the remnants of corruption, yes, that's true. But notice the things then that we are to discipline our minds to focus on. Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, praiseworthy. Think on these things. Well, that cuts out a bunch of media, doesn't it? Cuts out a bunch of reading, doesn't it? Cuts out a bunch of daydreaming, doesn't it? Well, when we hear commands like this, this is when the law of God is magnified in our eyes. And we know that, that giving our best effort to Philippians 4.8 could never be justifying in itself before God. Our thoughts are shot through. They're fraught with difficulties. Yet, the standard remains the same. So, beloved... Memorize and work toward a greater and a growing obedience by the Spirit of God in your mental discipline. Philippians 4.8 The other thing that Paul will say here is surround yourselves with good examples. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Notice peace without worry, and then peace in thinking on the right things. So we might even call chapter 4 the chapter of peace. Now Paul speaks about his rejoicing in verse 10 as he thinks about the generosity of the Philippian church. Let's, let's get a couple of housekeeping things out of the way. Paul did not need particularly what they sent. He wasn't uh, commending them so that they would send more. Paul was not covetous with regard to their gift. They were the only ones that shared with him 
uh, when he left Macedonia, it says, that even while he was in Thessalonica, that is going south, that still it was the Philippians that ministered to him. Remember that it was Thessalonica and then it was Berea, right? And there were some real hardships that came along. And then finally south all the way into Achaia in Corinth and the Philippians are still giving to the Apostle Paul. Once and again, he said, you supplied. But I don't need those things. I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. I'm living the abundant life, Paul says. And living the abundant life does not mean two chickens in the pot, two cars in the garage, and so on. Living the abundant life is like we described it last week. It's that communion in glory which the members of the invisible church enjoy with Christ here in this life. Remember what they were? Those four things that the larger catechism says, which gives rise in our thoughts to many other things. Right? Remember? Assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, increase of grace, and so on. All those things, right? Um, Hope of glory. Those, beloved, are the abundant life. The world's going to throw all kinds of other things out in front of you, telling you what you don't have. Paul says, I don't need any of those things. I've learned how to be full in any condition. And then also, I've learned how to hunger. And what does he mean by that? That he is not yet complete in all of that longing after what God has given him in Christ. Right? Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. Is how Christ puts it in the Sermon on the Mount. And so Paul will write here in this final section how that it was good and commendable that the, uh, that the Philippians gave to him. I'm, I'm glad you did, he said. I'm rejoicing that you did, not because I needed it, but because it is good for you to be outward thinking rather than inward thinking, to be generous rather than stingy, to be thinking about the needs of others rather than what others aren't giving you. Oh, beloved, if you're thinking about what others aren't giving you, you know what? You will never be full. Never. Because others will always fall short. But if we're looking for peace of conscience, assurance of God's love, joy in the Holy Ghost, increase of grace, hope of glory, and all those other things that we share with Christ in glory now, as we are interested in, in Him, our head, and so in Him, we have the first fruits of all of those things that we will enjoy to the full later, then it doesn't matter what we have in this world. It doesn't matter if people love us or not, or if they serve us like we want them to serve us or not, or if they give to us like we want them to give us. Certainly, Paul didn't leave Philippi thinking, boy, these guys are going to give me a lot. That's great. No, he left Philippi looking to Christ. And then he said, my God shall supply all your needs through Christ Jesus. And he will. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. All the things that the Gentiles seek, all the things the Gentiles tell you that you need. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to those folks. They don't know what they're talking about. This is what we need, right? So then, verse 18, I have all and abound. I am full. This is a guy in jail. 
having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Yet another witness, perhaps, that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, because this is so very parallel with Hebrews 13, 7, and 8, where the Lord says, but to, or sorry, where the apostle, whoever it is, says, um, to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well-pleased, Right? But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Notice, our sharing is in glory. It's not in these earthly things. What a tragedy it is that we hear so often from people that if God loves you, he will bless you materially. Yeah, tell that to those saints that were stoned, sawn asunder, went about in sheepskins and goatskins, Right? From Hebrews 11 toward the end of that passage. No, it's his riches in glory that he supplies. And beloved, we must ask ourselves the question, is that enough? Of course, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes, it is. It is beyond enough. It is beyond what we could ask or think. So then we have a, 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 a doxology and a benediction, and then we're done. And that brings us to a close uh, to Philippians chapter 4. Let's stand and close.